All right, would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy? If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some under the chairs in front or maybe underneath you you could use this morning. I know we've gotten used to these uh, chalk drawings, you know, to tell the Scripture, so I had thought about having a whiteboard up here and doing, you know, chapter 1 and then a little stick figure of Paul and a little stick figure of Timothy, but it wouldn't be too pretty, so I think I'll just read the text this morning instead. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, I'd like to read it for us as we begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Let's pray. Father, would you, by that same Spirit, speak to us today? Open our eyes to see your Word and understand how important it is that we live by it, that we put into practice the very same things that we saw in the life of Paul and in the life of Timothy. Lord, speak to us. Amen. Well, through the years, one of the things that our family has enjoyed doing in the summer is to go camping. And, you know, if you go camping, I mean, everybody does that. What do you do? You, you want to build a, a campfire. Because uh, one of the highlights of that time, just being outdoors, is sitting around a fire where you can uh, warm yourself on a cool evening, or you can, you know, roast marshmallows and make s'mores, or you can cook hot dogs, or whatever it is that you uh, like to eat, and, and you can just enjoy that time around the fire. There's also something about a campfire, too, that as you get, uh, you know, later in the evening, and it starts getting dark, and people gather around, and they sit around the fire, you begin to talk. And it's a great place to tell stories or to share what's going on in your life. And it's amazing how often I've seen people will open up and they'll share things around a campfire that they might not feel comfortable to do in another setting. I mean, we've seen that with our men's retreat. Some of the most significant times of fellowship have come late in the evening sitting around a campfire just enjoying that time together. Well, there's one thing that's pretty obvious about a campfire, though, is that someone needs to tend it. A campfire doesn't just happen. Someone needs to build it and light the fire. And then as the evening goes on, the fire will die out unless somebody throws another log on the fire or if it's getting low, fans the flame once again. And what Paul does is he takes that uh, analogy, that, that example that we are all familiar with, and he applies it to our spiritual life. Because there is a natural tendency for the fire in our heart to grow cold. Unless we tend our relationship with God, that passion that we had when we first came to know Christ is going to dim through the years. 
And it happens because of the busyness of life, or it might happen through neglect, or if we're not in God's Word, or if we're not enjoying fellowship with other believers who are passionate about their relationship with God, our own relationship with Him is going to grow cold. And Paul recognized that, and so he writes to Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Timothy, you have been given a great gift. Don't let the fire go out in your life, but fan that flame and keep it burning brightly for Christ. So how do we do that? How do we fan the flame in our heart? How do we keep our relationship with God strong and burning brightly? Well, there's three things that I see in Paul's life that I'd like to apply to us today. This isn't an exhaustive list. These aren't the only things that can help us to grow in our relationship with Christ, but they are three that I see in this passage. Number one, we fan the flame through prayer. We fan the flame through prayer. Let me tell you a little bit about this letter. Uh, Paul wrote 2 Timothy from prison. So he is in prison in Rome. And this isn't the first time that Paul has been in prison. In the years A.D. 62-63, he was also in prison in Rome, and that was recorded at the end of the book of Acts. But in those times, he was living in rented quarters. He had a little more freedom. Yes, there were Roman guards who were assigned to him, and sometimes Paul was chained to a Roman guard. But, you know, interestingly, that also meant that the Roman guard was chained to him, and Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel so that the word of God became known throughout the whole Praetorian guard. And so here, Paul is in prison, but this time it is different. This time we believe he is in what was called the Mamertine prison, and here's how that came about. In AD 64, remember the Roman emperor Nero set fire to Rome. There were some areas where the slums were pretty bad and these were wooden structures and he wanted to do a little bit of an urban renewal project and so he had a fire set in Rome. But the fire burned out of control and a little over one-fourth of the city of Rome was destroyed in this fire. And people were upset. You can imagine that. And so Nero needed to find a scapegoat and he chose the Christians. He chose this minority that he didn't particularly care for And he began to oppress them. And Paul was one of those who was arrested, Peter also, and there were other believers. And so now Paul finds himself in the Mamertine prison, which means he was in this dungeon of a cell with just one small hole in the ceiling for light and for air. And Paul knows he's not going to leave. He's not going to get out of this prison. And Paul knows that his work is done and he is about to die. He will be executed by Nero's orders. History tells us that he was beheaded in the year 67 AD. And this is his last letter. You know, I think about that when I read these words. I mean, listen again and hear them from a man who is about to die. He writes, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul knows who he is. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is a messenger charged with sharing the gospel with all who will listen. And this has been his mission now for over 30 
years. And he has poured out his life to help people come to know Christ. He was given this appointment as an apostle by God. He didn't seek it. He didn't choose him himself. Remember, it was God who changed his life and totally turned it around when he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And he became this apostle to the Gentiles. And what is he thinking about as he writes this letter to Timothy? He is thinking about the promise of life that we have in Christ Jesus. He's thinking about the future. He's thinking about what awaits him on the other side. He's been here before. The last time that he was confined in Rome, he wrote the, what are called the prison epistles, letters like the letter to the Philippians. And in that letter to the Philippians, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a win either way. And he said, frankly, you know, at times I'm just hard-pressed to know which one to choose. I mean, my desire to depart and to be with Christ is great because that would be better by far. I mean, my struggle would be over. It would be better. I'll be with the Lord. But he goes in that letter, he knows, I know it is better for your sake if I remain. And he was convinced that God was going to bring him through that time, and indeed God did. And Paul would do continued travels and writing and ministry after that time. But this time it's different. And he writes to Timothy because he says, I long to see you one more time. And he assures Timothy of his continued prayers. He writes, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I smile when I see that note, night and day. That's the Hebrew order of talking about the day. It's also what we see in the book of Genesis in terms of creation when every day God says there was evening and there was morning the first day. Why does God say it that way? It's because there's an order, a rhythm to life. And in that order to life, in the biblical fashion, the day begins with the evening. You see, it's God who works and then we work. It's God who works while we are even sleeping. It's God who gives us the strength that we need for each day that's coming up. And so when we commit our days to the Lord and ask Him to go before us, God is already at work all that time that we are sleeping to prepare us for the next day. And Paul writes that night and day I am praying for you. Paul prayed consistently for those that he discipled. To the Romans, in his letter, he said, God is my witness, how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all time. To the Philippians, he said, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And to Philemon, he said, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Paul was continually praying for those that he loved, whether individuals or churches. And what else you see is that, um, you know, Paul expresses here how his heart was right with God. He said he prayed and he lived with a clear conscience. What a great way to to look at your death, to be able to come to the end of your days and say that my conscience is clear, my sins are forgiven, I am right with God and ready to step into His presence. 
Prayer is one of the most effective ways that we can help others. In prayer, we are asking God to do what only He can do. On my recent trip down to Peru, things went so smoothly and effectively that I am convinced that that was because of the prayers of many of you that were lifting that up. We've seen God work through the prison ministry. We see the fruit of that as we pray for those who go into our jails and we see people who come to know Christ. We see answers to prayer in terms of health needs as we remember one another in the body of Christ. And prayer is also powerful in terms of disciple-making, in terms of helping people to grow in their relationship with Christ. We need to be praying. In my own life, I thank God for a godly grandmother who prayed for me every day. I think of my mom, my dad. I think of a, a neighbor woman, an elderly woman, who said that I was on her prayer list every day. And she prayed for me, and I know all of that was effective. But all of those individuals have now gone to be with the Lord. And I look at that, and I think for Gail and I, now it's our turn. It's our turn to be that person of prayer who will pray for our children and our grandchildren and those that we love. And the same is true for many of you, that you are in that situation where at the very least we want to be consistent in our prayers for our children and our relatives that we know. But who else is on your prayer list? Who's on your prayer list? Who are the people that you are perhaps working with or leading in a small group or discipling? Or who are the co-workers or friends that you are reaching out to at work? All of us need to be faithfully praying for others, and we need people who are praying for us. Secondly, we fan the flame through godly relationships, and we see that in verses 4 and 5. Paul loved Timothy. In verse 2, he called him, My dear son, But look at verses 4 and 5. He said, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. We don't know exactly when they parted, but you get something of Timothy's love for Paul too. When they said goodbye this last time, there were tears in that parting because they probably didn't know when or if they would see each other again. And Timothy had learned so much from Paul. Paul had been this mentor to him. And, you know, on Paul's part, Paul felt like a father to Timothy. Timothy had come to faith through his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and Paul writes about that. In verse 5, he said, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Those words really are a reminder to all of us that discipleship begins in the home. The way that our children should come to faith in Christ really should be through our own example as parents and grandparents who live out what it means to know Jesus. And that's how Timothy became a believer in God. But when Paul came and preached the gospel about Jesus, Timothy heard that message. And he placed his faith in Jesus, and Paul, in that sense, became his spiritual father. Paul took Timothy under his wing and began to disciple him. And apparently, Timothy's father was not yet a believer. He is not mentioned here, and we don't know if he has passed away by this time. Paul met Timothy at Lystra, 
on his second missionary journey, and Timothy began to travel with Paul. Timothy would serve with Paul in Berea, in Corinth, and in Ephesus as he helped to establish the churches there. Timothy was a pastor now in Ephesus when Paul wrote this letter. What else is interesting to me to think about, though, is how different Paul and Timothy were. I mean, Paul was just bold. He was outgoing. He was this assertive, hard-charging kind of guy in his personality. And it's like, we're going to take this next hill and we're going to go get it. And that's just the way he lived. And Timothy, the impression we get from him of the Scripture is that Timothy was a little more timid, a little more reserved, a little shy. He would probably be what we would call an introvert. And Paul was an extrovert. And these two were attracted to one another. Paul was mature. He was experienced. Timothy was young, needed guidance and instruction. Paul was physically tough. He endured hardships, beatings, imprisonment. We read how five times he received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you you suffer those kind of beatings and keep going on. It's by the grace of God. But Timothy, on the other side, appears to be weaker physically. Paul tells him to take some wine for his frequent illnesses and his stomach problems. He is a person who is just constitutionally different in the way that he is made from Paul. And there's not a right and wrong about that. That's just the way he is. And Paul loved Timothy. And he believed in him. And he saw his genuine faith. He saw his heart for God. And the two became co-laborers in Christ. You know what? We need people in our life, just like Paul, who love us, and who will believe in us and encourage us to be all that God wants us to be. When I think back on my life, I am so grateful for the mentors and the examples of godly men in my life who helped me to grow in Christ. I would not be where I am today without their influence in my life, and God used them powerfully. And if there was one quality that they had in common, it was that I knew that they cared about me as a person and they believed in me. And we need people who will do that for us. Parents, we need to encourage our kids to develop the particular gifts that they have been given. As Sunday school teachers, Awana leaders, youth leaders, we have the opportunity to really help shape and mold people's lives and influence the next generation. We have the opportunity to mentor and disciple, to teach and encourage. And we can do that through prayer. We do it by our example. We do it by the classes that we lead. But all the while, keeping in mind that we are pointing them to Christ. Pointing them to Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. Over spring break, Gail and I went down to Florida and we saw uh, uh, dear friends of ours, Jim and Renee Keller. Jim was the staff member with Campus Crusade who first discipled me, and I am just so grateful for his example in my life. And I had the opportunity to tell him that as we met together for a breakfast. And he just had, you know, he was kind of holding back the tears in that because it is an amazing thing to also be on the other side to know that God used you to help shape somebody else's life is a pretty humbling thing. But that's how it works in the body of Christ. 
And you know, even in the secular realm, people recognize the significance that love makes in relationships. When you care about people and you show that and you take the time to invest in somebody's, somebody else's life or when you work together as partners or co-laborers. Here's an example of a quote from Vince Lombardi. I put this in for Pastor Jason and all the Packer fans. Uh, I hope next week, uh, actually I'm going to be gone next Sunday, Jason's going to be speaking, I'll expect a Bud Grant quote or something, you know, just equal time here. But um, Lee Iacocca was asking Vince Lombardi once what it took to make a winning team. And Vince Lombardi said this, there are a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals and have plenty of discipline but still don't win the game. And then you come to the third ingredient. If you're going to play together as a team, You've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy and saying to himself, if I don't block that man, Paul's going to get hurt. Paul's going to get his legs broken. I have to do my job well in order that he can do his job well. The difference between mediocrity and greatness, Lombardi said that night, is the feeling these guys have for each other. And I think you can apply that to a church. What makes a difference in a church? Why do some churches grow? Why do some churches, you know, really seem to have those strong relationships? It's built on love. That we need to understand that we are a family and we are in this together. Church isn't something you just go to and leave and then go do your own thing. But church is a body of believers who really care for one another and are committed to one another. That's why things like a women's retreat or a men's retreat are a time when you build those relationships and go deeper. That's why we need to go beyond Sunday to be in an ABF or a small group where we are enjoying that fellowship. We're hearing people's hearts. They're hearing our heart. Because without the support of godly mentors and friends in our life, our love for Christ will grow cold. And we don't want that to happen. We need people praying for us, and we need to be connected to a church where we are being challenged to grow and encouraged to grow in Christ. So do you have those relationships in your life? Do you have those kind of friendships that are so meaningful and helpful? Do you have people who you are praying with or people that you're studying the Scripture with? We all need that. And thirdly, we fan the flame by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given a great gift. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, and you have been given a spiritual gift. And that gift may be teaching, may be serving, may be a gift of leadership, it may be a gift of musical ability, and you use that in worship, it may be encouraging, maybe the gift of mercy to come alongside people when they are hurting, it may be a gift of giving, and you give generously, maybe the gift of evangelism, and you enjoy sharing the good news of the gospel. But it is up to us to use what we have been given. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11 says this, that each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever. So Timothy had received a gift through the laying on of hands by Paul. And that was probably at his ordination, if you will, or something like what we do with ordination. Only here, Timothy had received this gift. We don't know exactly what it was. It was probably a gift related to shepherding or teaching in his role as a pastor. And now years later, Paul exhorts Timothy to use his gifts to the fullest. Don't let the trials of life discourage you, Timothy. Don't pull back, even though the battle is tough and things are hard in Ephesus. Don't shy away from stepping into the fight. In fact, throughout this letter, Paul's going to use these strong words to fight the good fight of faith, to stay the course, to finish the race. There's a a sense of urgency in Paul's words. There's a passion that is still there, even as Paul is at the end of his life. I want to be like that. I want to be a person who lives with passion to the very end, who sold out to Jesus. I want to be like Caleb in the Old Testament, who's still saying at the age of 85, give me that mountain. God wants all of us to live with that kind of fire. But the only way that that's going to happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Paul writes that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And I believe that word there, spirit, should be capitalized, not small letter. I do not think that Paul is referring to a human spirit or an attitude in our heart. I think he's referring to the Holy Spirit. That God has not given us a spirit, Holy Spirit, who is timid or fearful. Fear comes from the enemy. It doesn't come from God. And faith is what drives that away. And by the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit is one who gives us power, who gives us love, and who gives us self-discipline. And all of those words are just packed. The spirit of power, the word is dunamis. We get dynamite from that. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of love, and that word is agape. It's God's unconditional love. And the only way we can love others is by allowing the Spirit to love through us. And a spirit of self-discipline or good judgment, self-control, the ability to say yes and no, the ability to choose wisely and to make the most of the time that we have. That comes from God's Holy Spirit. And if we will not use our gifts, we will lose them or they will remain undeveloped. We need to put those gifts into practice and say, Lord, where would you have me to serve? What is it that you want me to do? Paul believed in Timothy. He encouraged him to develop and use his gifts to the fullest. That's discipleship. That's where Paul had such a significant influence in Timothy's life to encourage and develop his gifts. We all need people just like that. What I want you to think about this morning then is, you know, how are you doing in your relationship with God? How's the fire in your heart? 
On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put it? And you know what? Maybe one of the really good conversations we could all have this week would be to talk with somebody who's close to us, a friend or a spouse or someone we're meeting with in a prayer group, and just be honest about that. How's the flame in your heart? Is it a 5? Is it kind of just there, but not as strong as you'd like? Is it an eight where you're just excited about what God's doing, but you know that there's more? Is it a a nine or a ten, would you even say, where you're just really sold out to Jesus and ready to go? Is it a one or a two where it's barely flickering and you need prayer and you need encouragement? If we're going to keep the flame burning in our heart, we need to pray and we need people praying for us. We need to stay connected to the church. Don't try to do this alone. We need godly believers in our life who will encourage us. And thirdly, we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, letting him fill us and use us. Let's pray. Father, you alone know the temperature of our heart and where we stand in our relationship with you. And we don't want to be like the church at Laodicea that was so lukewarm they were not useful at all. We want to live in a way that's passionate, loving you, serving you, following you, worshiping you with joy in our hearts. Father, would you fan that flame in us? Help us to do what we need to do on our part, but would you, by your grace and mercy, fan that flame and help us to continue to grow in our relationship with you. Amen.